Hi everybody, Ramsey from the Pinpoint Players. I want to give a quick disclaimer. This episode was recorded on April 15th and talks about the PSN store closure for PS3, Vita, and PSP. We talked about our thoughts regarding the closure and the backwards compatibility, or lack thereof, from Sony and Nintendo. However, a few days later, Sony announced that they were not going to close the store down for PS3 and Vita. Understandably, this changed the nature of the episode with the timing of the press release. Tim and I considered scrapping the episode, but we believe that the points of the episode are still worth mentioning as one, Eventually, these stores will likely close unless Sony comes up with a cheap solution. Two, future console marketplaces will still face uncertain future. And three, our points on backwards compatibility are still relevant. And lastly, the canceling of the closure was thanks to people like you listening to this podcast. Your continued support of the PSN and contacting Sony helped make this possible. And we both thank you all for doing your part. I'm glad this could happen and hope that this enthusiasm continues into the future. But with that, let's get into the episode. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Ramsey here with the Pinpoint Players Podcast. I'm joined here with my friend, Tim. Hey there. Today, we're talking about something that's actually a little bit imminent by the time this episode and recording is out. We're talking about the PSN store, online gaming, digital gaming, and backwards compatibility all under one episode and kind of just the perils that it faces over the next few months. Yes, I'm, I'm pretty sure the Pinpoint Players, you guys are aware that newer consoles have been released this year. The Xbox Series 10, the PlayStation 5, and the Nintendo Switch. I think these are all wonderful systems. Uh, the Switch wasn't released this year, but it is part of a new console system. And with new console systems comes the dreaded uh, thing that we're all dreading. <laughs> <laughs> the backwards compatibility, which is something we were familiar with when we were growing up, going through our consoles, trading them in, getting new stuff. But uh, they introduced a new system, backwards compatibility, where you can play older games on the newer consoles. Yeah, that's a, the funny thing is, when we were younger, when we were kids, when we had the Nintendo, the Super Nintendo, the N64s of the world, there was no backwards compatibility with those. You had to get each new game, or sorry, each new system and each new cartridge along with it, which was fine. At the time, like, we didn't know better. There wasn't anything else to kind of compare it to. But starting around the Wii PS2 era, that's where we started to get backwards compatibility. Your PS2 could play pretty much all PS1 games, and the Nintendo Wii could play GameCube games. And that was great, because you got access to you know, that whole wide world of backlog games. And then even the Xbox 360 <clears throat> allowed you to play most Xbox One games. The original Xbox, not to be confused with the uh, 2013 system. Yes, that's right. So, yeah, no, backwards compatibility was kind of to be an expected thing every new generation. I mean, even the early PS3 lets you play uh, almost all PS2 games, but then later on, they actually removed that backwards compatibility in its later system. So, unless you were able to play an emulated port that was available on the system, or you had access to the older PS3s that first came out, the big fat ones, you're out of luck. So, with the new digital age having dawned upon us, backwards compatibility kind of took back seat, as it were. People were streaming their games, people were downloading their games digitally. There wasn't really a necessity for the newer generations and consoles to have a backwards compatibility feature. There are, I mean, games are still sold by disc. You can go to your local Walmart and get the latest game on Blu-ray disc. But a lot of the, the gaming systems today, especially Xbox, PlayStation, PlayStation and PC, they do digital downloads, so there isn't a necessary, uh, there isn't an issue with backwards compatibility, because it's always it was always just digitally downloaded. But 
We mentioned this in a few episodes back that PlayStation's network, PlayStation 3's network, is going to be shutting down later this year. We wanted to give you guys a warning to let you know that the PSP and the PlayStation 3's stores will be shutting down July 2nd of this year, and the PlayStation Vista's online store will be down... The Vita. The Vita? Yeah. The Vita, thank you. I like calling it the Vista. <laughs> Windows Vista. <laughs> Windows Vista is shutting down. Thank God for that. Yeah, right? But it's the PlayStation Vita. Their online store will be shutting down August 27th of this year. That gives us a period of time to discuss what we want to see happen. Yes, and that's the thing. That's just the kind of the tip of the iceberg of this conversation. It's a little bit worrying because... So if you own a physical copy of old games, like if you owned a PS1 game, you could play it on PS2. If you owned a PS2 game, you could play it on the PS2 and then maybe early PS3 systems. Problem is after that, if you own a, a PS3 game, you're thinking, okay, good. I can just play it on my PS3 even when the network goes down. And for most games, that's probably okay. But there are games every now and then that had a day one patch where when you bought the game, you would download a patch so that way levels would work properly. Because there were certain games that unless you had this patch, would not work properly. An example that I can remember is the first Wolfenstein game they released on PS3, Xbox, sorry, PS4. Actually, they released it on every system now that I think about it. But the new Wolfenstein, the game, I think that came out in 2014. That one had a day one patch where if you did not download that patch, the game wouldn't work properly. Enemies would behave weirdly. Um, you might be not be able to do certain parts of the levels from what I remember. Hmm. Like they remember saying that you have to download that, otherwise it doesn't work properly. And so if that's one game that I can think of, there must be other games where that was an issue. And why that's an issue with the PSN store closing is because we're going to all eventually reach a point where you might have the discs for these games, but without these patches, you might be playing a game that's broken and might not work properly. So unless PlayStation, Xbox, and all these other companies that have these old digital games come up with a solution to that, we're going to have problems going forward. And the backwards compatibility does alleviate it to an extent, in terms of being able to play some of these games, but these games without their stores might be lost forever. That includes digital only stuff and that includes patches. So that's why we wanted to talk about both backwards compatibility and the future of the these online stores. Absolutely, because you know, think about it. Uh, from where I'm sitting, my inspiration for gaming came from my parents, believe it or not. My parents started with an Atari I want to say 2900. It was well, The first one was the 2600, but then they came out a few years later with the 52, so one of those probably. One of the two. Yeah. They brought it up to Maine, and as televisions grew, uh, they were not able to uh, connect the Atari to newer televisions. They were able to get connections junction boxes essentially you, you have to go to, you have to like get that thing from radio shack or someplace because i remember yeah, right. I, remember, I remember that you had to connect a coaxial to this junction box and then to the tv and it would work i remember having to use that until maybe the uh i want to say the beginning of the gamecube era uh, it was close to that yeah yeah because yeah. uh after the gamecube i think even no even after the wii they had uh hdmi plugins uh it, it started with i think it was the playstation 3 yeah, that was the first time it was available. Nobody in the early days, nobody used them because you would have had to have an HDTV, which was incredibly uh, expensive. Like even a 720p 19 inch was like a few hundred dollars. So, just to give you a sense. But yeah, but that's what what my parents did to keep their gaming systems alive. Is they bought the things necessary to keep it 
playable on the television. And even to this day, we have a really old retro television that uh, we can connect our Atari to. But imagine, you know, going down the line, thinking about it. You have your kids. You're going to have kids. You may even have kids now. But you're going to have that time where you want to introduce them to the games that you played. And let's say 10 years down the line, you still have your PlayStation 3. You love that Battlefield 3 copy that you still have on hard disk, which nobody does because everyone digitally downloaded it. But you knew. You were forward thinking. You thought, this is going to be worth something someday. And guess what? 10 years down the line, it was. <laughs> so you pop that disc in and all of a sudden you're read with needs to connect to internet because patch required to play a game. Oh no, what are you going to do now? Well, that's why we're having this conversation because we want to avoid something like that from happening down the line. As Ramsey stated, it's something that the company should do. I'm just going to, I'm just going to flat out disagree with you, Rambo. It's something that we need to do. If it's something that we want, we have to tell them to do it. So I believe that if this is something that we want to happen, we need to come up with a strategy, a, 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 a solid plan, because the company is not going to save things that are not making it money. And I, that's why they're doing this. In that sense, regarding the money aspect, I had agree with you 110%. And I do, and with regards to your other points, in the end, here's why I think the companies want to do something about it. So let me put a little disclaimer. If the game came out on PC, like say a Steam game, it's like a Steam release or something, chances are it could probably be carried forward to the future because if it was released on Steam, in the future, if it has to run on a different version of Windows or some other upgrade, there are probably ways of emulating it on PC a lot easier. So that way, if we wanted to play an old copy of, I don't know, some... Air Force fighter game from the 90s. I'm sure on PC with a couple of layers and a couple of modifications, it's possible. But where, but where it's different for consoles is Xbox, so Microsoft, Sony, Nintendo, those are all proprietary things. And whereas on PC, it's a more open source platform in terms of the game releases. So where the companies need to, the companies I feel like need to provide the first step as far as being allowing people to, you know, play these games that may not be available in the future, like say with the PSN store going down in July for and August too. The companies need to be able to provide the tools to these players. And by that, I mean, if they're not going to allow the games to be listed on the store because the store is shut down, they have to find a means of letting folks maybe host the information themselves, distribute it. Because I, I know I'm kind of sounding somewhere, and I know I'm kind of all over the place with this point, but the thing is, but because Sony... Microsoft and Nintendo own the the servers behind the scenes that allow us to, you know, get these games. They have to at least provide us the framework so that way the gamers can kind of take the next step because they're because they're proprietary. Whereas PC, the framework's kind of already there for the gamers to kind of go and do the legwork themselves. So if I may ask, what's stopping somebody from taking a console game? You said that the company needs to provide the framework, but if a person between now and July, hint, hint, if a person between now and then takes a fully updated console version of the game and was able to, I'm not going to say break it, I'm not going to say hack, but I'm going to say discover the key elements that are missing, what would stop them? What would stop them? 
from being that open source. Because I would, I could see Sony, Microsoft, or Nintendo basically coming down with a fat lawsuit hammer, basically saying that you're using your you're doing unauthorized access on the systems that are proprietary systems. Like this is, you're breaking the licensing agreement. In other words, I'm sure that thing that we agree yes to when we're signing in has a bunch of stuff in there that says of things we can't do. So my thinking is that's probably it. That's they'd probably come and say like, you can't do that. So the only way this could work hint, hint, like, you know, wink, wink, because we're never going to advocate piracy or, you know, cracking or mounting or anything like that. The only way I could see something like that working is if somebody, or to somehow release the code online from uh, the PS3, the Xbox 360, or the, I think, Nintendo Wii U, depending on, like, the audience for that. So, which might happen in the future anyway, because we can go back and play emulated Super Nintendo, N64, PS1, and up to PS2 era. After that, it becomes a little bit tougher, but it is possible, I think, with GameCube era and Wii games. I think there are people out there in the community that figured that out. But anything after that, the emulation... And just the ability to host something like that, you know, whether it's DLC or patches, becomes very tricky and just very tough. And so my fear is, like I said, if they don't provide that initial framework or kind of throw gamers a bone, I'm afraid some of the digital titles that for now existed on PS3 and only existed digitally on PS3 might be gone forever with no replacement in mind. And that is a terrifying thought to have, but I'm going to reassure you because i don't believe it's going to get that bad if we remember pinpoint players if we if you uh joined us for our second season there was an episode of the high score netflix documentary that we uh reviewed where the game gay blade was lost forever the source files for it were in a box in hawaii and he didn't bring them and they were lost but through our continued community gamers like you and me and you pinpoint players we were able to bring the source files for gay blade back so i'm not too concerned with the fact that there are people in our community who have games that are on the cutting room floor we're not going to let those things occur and a, a, a brilliant example that i'd like to uh, bring up is the original beta tests for gold and silver and red and blue pokemon pokemon gold and silver and red and blue the original source files were leaked online recently and a host of data for the original games has come to light and people are wondering why these things weren't incorporated nintendo and creatures have their reasoning for not including the content but the content was still made available publicly. The person who uh, made the leak, you know, anonymity, thank God for the internet, they can't find the person. So if they... It's probably for the best. I agree, because a lot of good things have come from that data leak. A lot of people have looked at the data leak and learned how to improve their own skills. They've been able to tamper with the data leak to create Pokemon that actually were supposed to exist and actually incorporate them into the game. This is something that I'm sure Pokemon creatures and Nintendo would absolutely go apeshit for if they were to find these people. Wait, how many extra Pokemon would there have been? There were originally 200 Pokemon. And they chopped it down to 151? They chopped it down to 150 and at the last second included Mew. 
so there was 45 Pokemon that are in the original Red and Blue games that are not playable. Do you remember Missing No? No. The Missing No glitch, where you could surf Cinnabar Island and multiply the seventh item to infinity? I heard of it, but I never got to do it myself. Oh, dude, wow, that's mind-blowing! No, um, I, I, never, okay. I, I, never, I never had the opportunity, because by the time I got out of Pokemon and discovered game facts and all that stuff, that's when I realized, oh man, there's all those things you could do with Pokemon, but at that point... I just hadn't been playing it anymore. Okay. Wow. Well, it's a it's a fascinating glitch. You put the Master Ball in your seventh slot of the item. You surfed up and down Cinnabar Island. You came across a Pokemon called Missing No. That was one of the 45 based off of your trainer name that, uh, that surfaced and multiplied your seventh item to infinity. That po- Those Pokemon, those Missing No's, are the the data inside Pokemon Red and Blue that were the original 45 Pokemon cut. Oh, no way. So due to the leaks, we were able to determine how the Missing No worked, how the Missing No lined themselves up, what types of Pokemon Missing No's were supposed to be. We've learned so much through these leaks. And and that's what I'm trying to say about uh, the PlayStation Network going down, is I believe people like yourself and Chrono Trigger People who are passionate about a game will never forget that game, will not let that game die. We're bringing this up to you, Pinpoint Players, because we have time between now and then to call call an action, essentially, against uh, PlayStation and uh, Nintendo. They are really the two companies that are skimping, I'd say, skipping on backlogging and backwards compatibility. From what I've read, Nintendo's backlog in their online store is just a, a nostalgia shopping trip. First of all, you need a subscription to pay. Uh, oh, they had their, a subscription now? It's, an, a, it's, subscription, it's a subscription-based service, so to access certain titles on Nintendo, you need to be subscribed to their premium whatever. That, that doesn't sound like Nintendo. So the you, Nintendo need to pay, uh, you need to pay, like, say, uh, like $10 a month. Let's say that. You need to pay $10 a month to access their premium subscription service, and then you have to buy the game. So you need a premium service to access the games, then just to buy the game. Yep. That's uh, that's kind of reminds me of what Disney did with Mulan, where you have to be subscribed to Disney Plus. Exactly. And it's like, oh god, that's that's a habit that we don't need the industry to get into. That's a habit I really don't want the industry to get into. But even that's another topic in, in its own right. But even just sticking to this, like this narrow scope here, this definition of what we're talking about. Oh, that that just that kind of annoys me. Like this is the this was the system of our childhood, and it kind of sucks that they're doing that. But, it is, but uh, but you know, you bring a good point. I could see in the future, just like they found a way to protect perfect Super Nintendo, Nintendo, PS One, PS Two emulation. It might take a while because the code compared to the code for the PS Three, the source code, I, from what people are describing as far as emulation, is a nightmare. From like the very little I know of it, but. I suspect in the future they'll figure it out and they'll find a way to emulate the PS3 games. But there, I still fear that some games will slip through the cracks that were digital only because... So, a PS3 Blu-ray disc, I imagine that is an easier process to go through the idea of emulation because you've got the physical disc, you have to find some way to play it or to strip the data from the disc. But a digital game from a PS3, a proprietary system... That's tricky. That's a lot of kind of cracking to figure that out. And 
maybe some people have already figured it out or at least are on the lead to it. Same thing with Xbox 360, although less so with Xbox because the Xbox games are a little bit more package compatible, so it's not as dire there, but with PlayStation, it's a little bit more dire. So, But anyway, I just wanted to kind of food for thought on that one. Just, I think the emulation will be there in the future, but not for a while just because it sounds like it's a nightmare to do, specifically for PS3. It does sound like pretty you know, daunting task, but I mean, for the longest time, I didn't think that I'd see a, a remake or a sequel for 13, which is a game I'm sure everyone is sick and tired of me talking about, but I absolutely love talking about it. Uh, I was a huge fan of it, still am, uh, but there was a call. There was, there was a persistent knocking on Ubisoft and whoever bought it. <laughs> whoever bought it, uh, their door. We kept saying, we want to play this game, we want to see this game, don't ignore this game. And as people, uh, as gamers ourselves, uh, when we when we hear these kind of things, I, I'm, I'm going to assume that there are going to be people who love the game so much that they'd be willing to put in that, that time and effort, that dauntingness, to make sure that they're able to play that game in the future, to show their children that game in the future. I, 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 I'm, I'm not too worried, but what, what I do want to get across is that we need to start acting now. Is We've got time between now and then. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, we can't stop the store from being shut down, but we can at least, you know, kind of get out there in the community, the gamer, the general gaming community to kind of illustrate why this is important, why, you know, emulation is important, why in some capacity preserving these games is important. And why backwards compatibility is probably the most important thing. The other thing that we're talking about here, because backwards compatibility is something that we took for granted in the PS2, you know, early, sorry, I'm just trying to think. Backwards compatibility is something that we took for granted from the, you know, the PS2 through the Xbox 360 era. We figured mm. that it was something that, oh, we have it now, they'll always include it. But once they found out that people are willing to go pay for a project again just to have it, they figured, what's the incentive to including it? And it's kind of funny, because people ragged on the Xbox One when it came out that it was a restrictive system where you needed to be connected online for it to work, and they didn't seem that very fan-gamer-friendly of the bunch. Like, they didn't have the titles. They just... They seemed to be the most corporate of the three. And it's funny that now Xbox is the system that will pretty much allow you to play catalog of games going all the way back almost 20 years now whereas Which I, I think is actually a genius move on their part because incredibly they were they were the late they were the late kid to the party essentially yes. they you know it was always nintendo or playstation for a while and then dreamcast came along and they beat the shit out of dreamcast <laughs> <laughs> and then xbox came along and we were just like oh okay so it's going to be another uh beat down on microsoft we were like oh microsoft's trying to enter the the video gaming console world stick to pcs but they stuck through it they did and in their time as a gaming console system they were able to look at the mistakes that PlayStation and Nintendo had made. They were also able to look at the mistakes that PlayStation and Nintendo are making currently, and they were able to devise a, a look, a, not a loop, a look around. They were able to explore their options, which I think, as a company, genius move. Yes. That's Late a... to the party, last to leave. Yes. They've, they've definitely changed themselves over the 20 years. They've 
the reshape their image, and the fact that you can play games that are almost 20 years old. Because remember, the very first Xbox console, I think, came out in 2001, maybe at the maybe at the latest 2002. So you're talking about playing games that are nearly 20 years old. So I think, now don't quote me on this, and I have to go do my homework on this, but I think you can take an original Xbox disc and provide it's not scuffed to hell, you can put it in your newest Xbox system, and the emulation should still allow it to play, but even if it doesn't, the Xbox One, the previous system, can play those a lot of those original Xbox games and 360 games. So kudos to them for doing it. Kudos to them for, you know, changing their image. We were ragging on them. We were giving them crap in about eight years ago when they released their Xbox One system. But right now, they look like the system that's catering a lot to our games. Now, I know Sony's releasing a, a good chunk of uh, first-party games. They have a lot. Their first-party library is very vast, very large. But honestly, if I'm looking at it, as a gamer, I'm, I'm choosing between these two systems. It's a tough choice, honestly, because on the side of the on the side of Sony, you don't have backwards compatibility. I mean, you can play some PS4 games, but I think it's only a select amount. I think it's done through emulation. In other words, it's not that vast. It's messy. Yeah, it's, from what I'm from what I'm reading so far, it's messy. It's kind of scattered. Maybe they'll fix that in the future. But right now, the newest Xbox system, provided you can get one, because we're in the middle of a global chip shortage, but provided you can get one, you can play. Xbox One, I think Xbox 360 games on it, and that's incredible, the idea that you can do that. Something that we thought we'd always have when we were playing PS2, when we were playing Xbox 360 and we had backwards compatibility, but it just goes to show you, nothing's guaranteed, and if they find a way to make a buck off, you know, our nostalgia, like Nintendo's doing and Sony probably might do, they'll do it. Uh, yeah, so uh, backtracking a little bit, we needed, so the framework that we need for these games it's essentially the patches is that what i'm getting patches is one thing and i think the dlc because so let's say let's say you have a game that's included maybe three dlc packs mm. and there are patches to make the games work every single time those patches release so that's where it gets tricky because emulation of the old days so i think early ps3 360 and before i think games didn't really need that many patches to work to function properly because I think the games in terms of the architecture were a lot simpler as and because they were a lot simpler i think the idea of emulating them wasn't that difficult because i think in a lot of the dlc back then too i think was more cosmetic stuff so as a result it's not pertinent to get the dlc of those games so anyway my point is early ps3 era before games i think it's it won't be too bad in terms of emulation but i could see late era ps3 games where there are a lot of patches and a lot of dlc I could see that being a huge problem. Well, yes, I, I do too, especially since uh, in those cases, the companies were releasing unfinished products, essentially, is what we're getting at. You needed to download this patch in order for the game to run. You could buy the game, you could ignore the patch, you could play the you know the funky game, but that's well, not what the game is worth. That's not what they're, it's not what you're paying for in the, the game. The, that's part of it though cuz yes there was a day one patch to make it work properly, but then let's say a game released a DLC and let's say it was a single player expansion or some sort of like multiplayer add-on, whichever it is, there would be a patch and then I think they would release I'm sorry, they would have the DLC but they release a patch with that to make sure that everything works, co you know, that everything's kosher when the the DLCs released with it. So that way everything kind of worked together seamlessly. Whereas, you know, day one patch is definitely an issue, but um, 
when you release DLC, there's always patches with it. And then sometimes they're just patches for security updates or maybe a couple new like features. Like maybe in Call of Duty, they have a patch to change how, I don't know, the Model 1887 would work. Something like that. So it, it depends, honestly. So it seeing as that it depends on the game, we're, we're really going to have to... It's going to be fractured. We're going to have to champion something um, together as a community. Now... Now, Rambo, what what is something that we as the pinpoint players could do to get the attention of these companies that this is an issue, that this is something that they should start addressing, especially since they've made these plans to close the PlayStation 3 and the PSP's store July 2nd and the PlayStation Vista... Vita. Vita. <laughs> PlayStation Vita's store. That's how popular of a system it was. <laughs> <laughs> it's so popular so popular the store the playstation vita store august 27th what is something we the pinpoint players could do to get the attention of these companies to say you you know we got to make the you, we need an we need a solution to these problems because they've made these choices without addressing these issues right and so i think in the long run the gaming community is, is very full of a bunch of talented people and they'll figure out an emulation solution even with this whole patch crisis that you and i are worried about i think in the long run there will be a way they figure it out but something that really could help stem the tide and create an easier problem for them in the short term and even the medium term because rather than having the emulator people do all the legwork people like sony in this case could provide some of the framework and but but you asked specifically what they could do what we could do so i would say just Tweeting at you know, PlayStation support, point blank, and asking him, hey, what about the digital games on PS3, PSP, Vita? You know, what about those? What about patches? Because, yes, we might have the physical game after this is over, and maybe our system is up to date with them, but here's the problem. Let's say our PS3 or whatever system breaks down, you have to go replace it with another one on eBay. That one on eBay isn't up to date. Its firmware is not up to date. It's not going to have those patches of those games that you are playing. Oh, that's true. The PlayStation 3 actually had two different versions to it. One that was acceptable to most PlayStation 1 version games with a few PlayStation 2 games. It, all, no, they... So all, the opposite. Oh, no, so all, PS, so all PS3 systems, regardless of the age, can play all PS1 games, or virtually all of them. It was only the very early PS3 systems that were released in, like, 2006-7 that could play PS2 games. Thank you. That is what I read. But yeah. yeah, it was something along those lines. So if you if your personal PlayStation 3 system does fail, you may not be able to have the accessibility to get that same model that you had that played those specific games. Or the game itself, because let's say... So an example on my part, um, I have the very obscure Intelligent Cube game that was released in North America like 25 years ago. The one in... I told you about a few episodes oh, yeah. back. Yeah. So that one. So that's a problem. Let's say my PS3 system works fine right now. I could boot it up, go play it, you know, Bob's Your Uncle, whatever. But in the future, let's say, I don't know, the system fails because at some point the system will get old. Technology gets older and there are a lot more moving pieces in that system than our old Super Nintendos, Nintendo 64s. So it could fail. So I go replace another one on eBay. I go, sorry, I go replace it with another one on eBay. That's the problem. The one on eBay might have a different firmware version which is okay-ish but the problem is it won't have the same patches that from the games that i've been playing on it and it will definitely not have a copy of intelligent cube that i downloaded on it and if there's no psn store i can't go re-download it so i'm screwed 
I don't have access to that game anymore. That's yeah, that PlayStation Three that you have with that game downloaded on it. That's that's a that's a piece of history, and it should be taken. It should be taken very good care of. Yeah, and that should be ported forward. So the PS4 and the PS5, for that matter, should have a way for you to go play these games. So I don't know, like if they found a they found a way to make it work on PS1 through some sort of. You could download a digital PS1 game on the PS3 and play it, so therefore they had the ability to do emulation. So it makes me think there has to be a way to do it also on PS4 and PS5. So my my thing is it's possible. So I'm hoping that if they're not working on a solution now to all this, everything we're saying now, specifically Sony, that folks like you and I and anybody listening to this, you know, contact them via Twitter or maybe just sending them an email directly and saying like, hey, this is important to us and we we purchased these games and we expect to be able to play them, if not forever, a damn near long time. And then more importantly, we've had fun playing these games. We want to keep playing these games. I still go back every now and then and play old games. We're playing an old game from... Yeah, we are. <laughs> we're playing a game <laughs> called OpenTTD that we never knew about back when we were in middle school, high school. It's a 17-year-old game. But we like to go back and play that every now and then. Yes, we can go back and we can play the flashy AAA games that just came out recently. But we like the ability to go back and play old games. I love 13. Exactly. Dude, I love 13. We love Goldeneye. We love Goldeneye. I love Crown Trigger. We love games that are over 20 years old. Yeah, Pokemon, dude. Pokemon. Exactly. Imagine. Imagine not being able to... I mean, that was for a brief period because Game Boy Advanced couldn't play Game Boy Color games. Yeah, right. But... uh that changed because the people who were passionate about Pokemon ported it to the PC, improved it because it was open source, and then made an even better game. Essentially, there's a there's a whole host of modded Pokemon games because that person ported the original open uh, source to an open source file. And what we're coming up to now, if if we can't be heard by the companies, if they don't want to do what we're going to ask, essentially we're going to do it on our own. Goldeneye has Goldeneye open source. I'm sure a bunch of people over at uh, Rare Interactive or uh, Rare, yeah, this just Rare. There, I'm sure there's somebody screwing their heads around, going, "How did this person get our data? How did this person improve our game? Why are so many people enjoying that old game?" Because if you fight a battle with nostalgia, you will lose a hundred out of a hundred times. Yeah, you will. Yeah, you will. And that's and that's. It. And that's anyway with regards to what we're talking about with these games, why we want them to be ported or in some way carried to the future is the point. We had fun playing these and we want to just be able to keep playing them. So to that end, just circling back a second, I think games that were single player focused mainly and say the PS3 era, we'll just stick with that for now. I think those will be the easiest to emulate because since they're single player and they may, if they didn't have any downloadable content, there won't be too much needed to get it up and running. Now, if it required a multiplayer component or if it had a multiplayer DLC or if it had a lot of single-player DLC and a lot of patches, that's a can of worms that someone's going to have a hard time figuring out. And I think at some point somebody will figure it out, but in the short term and medium term, it's going to be... We might potentially have to go without some of these games that we played during this era. Now, I want to ask you, Rambo, is that something that you're willing to accept? Largely, no. I mean, I'll admit, I haven't booted up my PS3 in months, but every now and then I do go back and play some games because I just feel nostalgic for playing some of these old games. So you won't accept failure 
in this regard as an option at all. You do not want to see any of these games disappear forever. Right. I want all the because there's because so for two reasons, two very good reasons I think. One, the easiest. I paid for it, so therefore yeah. I should be able to have it for all time. Damn straight. Right. So I mean, same thing when you pay for a, a Blu-ray, a DVD, or an old cartridge. You bought it. Should be yours for all time. Although someone will probably say, like, well, there's this licensing agreement when you buy a digital copy. But I'm still going to say, well, you bought something, you should be able to access it all for all time. Yeah, you took my money. And then and then the other thing is simply nostalgia inside me is, you know, embedded deep. And I absolutely don't want to lose those games. Whether okay. that, and any of those games, like I said, I hate the idea of my PS3 failing and then I can't re-download those games. I'm screwed unless it's available on PS4, PS5. And, and honestly... You and I grew up with Nintendo, and I don't want to let them off the hook either. I hate that unless... It's a subscription service. I hate One, I hate that it's a subscription service, and two, I hate that they're reselling us games from our childhood, like, all over again and at, at pretty hefty prices. Like, I think... So, I haven't been on the Nintendo store in a while, but I think if you want to go buy, like, say... I'm trying to think of a game I saw. I remember seeing once. Sure, Mario Kart. Let's say Mario Kart. Yeah. You want to play Mario Kart? Mario Party. Right. Mario Party. Yeah, I think if you want to go play, even any, even any of the classics from on the Super Nintendo, I think I remember this once on the Wii or Wii U, the online store, I think was selling these old games for, like, I want to say around $10. And look, I get the idea of maybe selling for a couple bucks because maybe they had to do some stuff on the server to port it, pay for the server access. But I just, the idea of the same game being sold to me, like, multiple times each system is kind of silly. Like, if we, for example, if we purchased it online on the I don't know, the Wii or the Wii U store, I feel like it should be in our Nintendo account and we should be able to access it on the Switch. So I get maybe rebuying it again to help them with maybe the server cost of hosting it there, but I don't like the idea of buying it again potentially on every single Nintendo system. Just to I, go, just for nostalgia, come on. I, I mean, I agree. I, I don't I don't see the value or the worth because this happened to us when music went from CDs to iTunes to open source sharing. You had to buy each individual song. If you bought an album, you got all the songs. But, you know, if you went from uh, Android to Apple, you know, your Android purchases, your Android purchases didn't carry over to Apple. So you had to re-download or purchase all the music again. And that's just not worth it. That's, that's saying, hey, I sold you an Apple. Can you give me $5 for it again? Right. That's And that's the thing. That's, that goes for anything that we buy. It's, you hate the idea. You want to buy something once, so if let's even if you buy it on iTunes or you buy it on Amazon, like we'll stick with music for a sec. Let's say you buy a song on any of these platforms, you want to be able to download your MP3 or Wave or Flack or whatever music file it is, and you want to be able to play it on any of the other platforms. You might have to upload it to your computer, upload it to your phone, whatever. The point is, it's your song. You should be able to do that. But I hate the, or I don't like rather the idea that. You might have to buy it on separate platforms just to be able to play it there. That seems kind of silly. Like I know, I'm not sure if it's this way with iTunes, but I remember, so early iTunes days, I think you could just download the MP3 and then you could just, you know, burn it to a CD, mm -hmm. upload it to your phone, upload it to your computer, upload it to whatever device you want to listen to the song from there. But I think now if you buy music from iTunes, it's a specific file type that yep. you can only play on Apple devices. Mm -hmm. So you're kind of screwed unless you're living in the Apple ecosystem. So... Your best bet is to either just stream the music from a service like Spotify or something like this, which you might be listening to this podcast on, or you might just have to go to a place that sells, still sells the music with MP3 files or whatever physical media files and download it from there. 
and then re-upload into your iTunes because, again, it's kind of silly. But music. But anyway, this is a this is the music. But I do agree. This is annoying. This is yeah. annoying. The idea of paying multiple times for the product just for the sole convenience of being able to play it on either the system or listen it to on its device, whatever the medium is. Yeah. Same it, thing with movies too. Although yeah, it is the same thing with movies. Although with with movies, is it, although you tell me with movies because it's been a while since I bought a movie. With movies is it less restrictive where you you buy it on like I don't know Vudu and you can stream it on all your devices or something? No, it's specific. It's specific to the streaming service. If I get a mu- if I get a movie on Amazon and I pay for that movie. I can watch that's it right. That's right. No, that's right. But if I was to get it from, if I was to buy a movie on YouTube, you can buy movies on YouTube. Oh, I cannot watch my. Uh, if I want, yeah. If I was to watch that movie on YouTube, I'd go to YouTube. But if I were on Amazon and thought, oh, well, let me watch that movie because I paid for it on YouTube, I should be able to watch it on Amazon. No, it's not. It's the same. It's it's different. So so maybe that's just it. Maybe what I'm getting from this conversation just about gaming. About the loss of the PSN store, you know, Nintendo's store, the lack of backwards compatibility unless it's an Xbox system. It's telling me that in general, it'd be nice to have for all of our media, whether it's movies, games or music, that we need some sort of standardization. That's when you buy something on one platform, it'd be nice to play it on another platform now, or at least have the ability to download your own copy of it and then do with it to your heart's content, like watch it wherever. So... It would be nice if there's some sort of standardization. Now, that's probably not going to happen because I could see Hollywood or whatever industry basically saying, nope, you're not going to do that because we like money. But it would be nice. It would be. And uh, I'm going to encourage the pinpoint players uh, to say that we are the ones who make those choices, regardless of companies deciding to do what they want with their content. We will always act as individual agents of our lives and you know there are things that we are told not to do because it's wrong for x y and z reasons but we still have the capacity to go out and do those things you know for the for the last two weeks my car's registration has been expired i renewed it i don't have i didn't have the sticker until recently but Legally, quote unquote, I wasn't allowed to drive with an expired tag. I still did, but I wasn't allowed to because X, Y, and Z reasons. Sony, Nintendo, whatever gaming company is doing this to you, pinpoint players, there are ways around it. There are ways that we can tell these companies that what we care about is important to us, the consumer. If, if, I, from what I understand, Nintendo's store is not doing very well because of its structure. You know, people don't like paying a subscription so that they can pay for a game. We don't have to. You know, we can go find the game another way. We can find people on the internet who have made it easier for us. It's not, you know, it's the you know it's the black market uh, approach to the the situation. But we've always been pirates. We've always been pirates for movies, music, content. It. It has been that way since the dawn of history. There have always been a black market and pirates. I'm glad that you mentioned the, the whole piracy thing. The, here's the thing. I remember Gabe Newell, the creator, founder of Steam, said once that, um, I don't remember the exact quote, but the idea was that if you make something convenient, 
your piracy will drop down. So if you give people easy access to these games, movies, music, they're not going to want to pirate it. They'll gladly pay for it if you just give them an easy way to access this stuff. And everything we've talked about is relevant to this. I mean, and for what it's worth, for my unsolicited advice for folks listening to this, besides, you know, telling Sony, Nintendo, these folks, you know, what you want, specifically Sony in regards to the PSN store, my advice is getting a copy of the things you enjoy. So by that, I mean, I would caution folks, if you like downloading games digitally because of its convenience, I understand that. I get that. There's a couple of games where I've done that because, well, there wasn't a physical copy, but it's nice from a convenience to have a digital copy. But I would encourage you guys to get a physical copy because you can kind of protect yourself longer run from that because you have the physical game. You can't take that away from you. They can't remove that from the store, even when the store shut down. Now, patches and everything, that still might be an issue, but you still have the physical game to potentially go play with it. So that'd be my advice. I mean, I still buy Blu-ray movies. I don't buy CDs anymore, <laughs> so that's kind of pointless. But I'm sure if it was 2005, I would. But get the point. Just if you like something, try and get a physical copy or buy it somewhere online where you can download your own MP3. Or, you know, same thing with movies. However, that's maybe possible. Point is, if you like something, get yourself a, a physical or damn near close to physical copy of it. Yeah. My advice to the pinpoint players is become pirates essentially but don't <laughs> we as the podcast do not encourage or condone piracy of any sort <clears throat> now that that said we're not going to let these companies do this to us because we never have we've never stopped letting them do these things to us we've always found a, a loop around if for some thank you loophole <laughs> a workaround a loophole a loop around <laughs> but if we make enough noise and these companies still refuse to give us what we want we will take it whether they give it to us or not and that's just the way history has always played out that's right and if these companies want to do the right thing and don't want to lose any revenue they should just make it easier for gamers to be able to play these games whether they're 25 years old or they're five months old but with that yeah that's that's our episode for today we wanted to let you know that we are on instagram at pinpoint players leave us a comment on some of our wonderful posts you can find us on youtube on youtube we open pokemon and Yu-Gi-Oh cards enjoy some of our unboxings if you like what we're doing and like our content give us a five-star rating on apple Podcasts. it greatly helps us with outreach and on spotify Give us a follow, helps us push us up in the algorithm so that way more people like you can give us a listen. And if you want to reach us by email, we are pinpointplayers at gmail.com. And with that, thank you folks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for tuning in, Pinpoint Players. <laughs>